I just want to read a few um, verses which seemingly have nothing to do with this, but they have everything to do with this. Um, John 17, 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. It's Jesus praying to his Father. And then he talks about in verse 11. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. Jesus manifested his Father's name. In other words, he showed who God's like, what what God's like, right? And He's praying that we will be kept in that and we will be built in that by the Father, that we may be one, as he and the Father are one. And the the work that he is doing is to build us so that we become the clear, uncomplicated, undefiled demonstration of God on the earth, right? And it's a powerful thing that he is unfolding to us his way of building through the fivefold. These are gifts given by Christ to build, to mature the church and lead the church in spirit-led works of service. And the the character of everything about God is oneness, right? So he himself is three, but he's one. And all that he builds is the same. So the, there's a five-fold gifting, but it's one. There's a body, but it's one. He always builds in the manner of himself, of his character. So when we look at the the fivefold gifts, they're given by Christ to equip the saints. That's in your notes, equip the saints. <clears throat> For the works of service, not do all the works of service. And as we heard from Chris a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, no gift stands alone. So, again, if a gift stood alone, it wouldn't be representing the oneness of God, would it? Do you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to get at <laughs> that the whole manner in which He builds is bringing the parts in oneness, in unity, and you see this through the passage in uh, Ephesians 4, which is really where we're, we're sort of rooted down into this, this teaching about the fivefold. So they don't, they don't stand alone. The pastor doesn't stand alone. So that we heard about what the man-made version of the pastor gift has become, and it has been like a standalone, one man does everything, um, and you see how clearly that is 
that is devoid of this character and nature of God, that he is one in, in the many. We see another demonstration of this um, through uh, Moses and Jethro, and, and that's in, in Exodus 18. Now, I won't go into reading a whole lot of scriptures because there's quite a lot of um, things to cover. That particular one we won't delve into, but I'll just explain that what happened was Jethro, who's Moses' father-in-law, came to him while after he, they'd had the exit out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness, and he witnessed what was happening with Moses. So he was from dawn to dusk. He was, um, I guess, be, being the people's judge. So everybody that had any problems were coming to him. And, and he was saying, this is not a good thing, <laughs> um, because one man is trying to do everything for all the people. And so he talked about um, the need for Moses to delegate and to, to um, bring that, that shepherding needed to be delegated out to the people. And so we see in Exodus 18, 21, he gives some characteristics of these people that Moses is to look for to, to delegate some of this work. So he talks about able men who fear God. That's in your notes, able men who fear God. That would be men of truth. Men of truth. And those who hate dishonest gain. So particular qualities. And, and we see similar sort of things are coming through. We've got some more examples coming up because in Deuteronomy 1, 13 and 17, God also instructs Moses on appointing rulers over the people. And he, he also lists some qualities. And there's reasons why these qualities are there. So he said to look for wise men. Wise men, men of understanding. Men of understanding, known among the tribes, so that people would know where to go, and not to show partiality. That's a powerful one, isn't it? Not to show partiality. Here we see the characteristics of love, God's love. To hear both small and great alike, small and great alike. And they shall not fear man. Not to live in fear of man. Because otherwise their judgment's not going to be just, is it? Um, And if there were any cases that were too difficult, they would bring them to Moses. Moving into Acts 6, we've got um, a familiar story where the disciples are also increasing, and then there's some complaints that come out from some of the widows that are getting kind of overlooked when they're um, giving out um, provisions. And so the disciples, as a 12, get together, and they um, know that they need to be able to delegate 
some of this, what they call serving tables, um, so that they themselves can, can devote themselves to prayer and ministry of the word. Really interesting when you think of serving tables, we often think, oh, you know, it's not really much of a spiritual thing to do. Have a look what they're looking for. A good reputation. People with a good reputation. So, in other words, a track record. Faithfulness, loyalty, and selflessness. Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. Not full of themselves. Not full of their own agenda. Not full of pride, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. What's the beginning of godly wisdom? What is it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Stephen, we know, was one person that was um, chosen at that time. And he's described as being full of faith. And full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And we see in Stephen the, the, the beauty of a life that is completely given to Christ. And we see that tracked out, not only that he is speaking the word without any um, holding back, but that even when he is stoned and literally stoned to death, he is speaking out the very words that Jesus spoke out on the cross. Father, forgive them. So the, what I want you to gather out of this is that the, the, every person in the body of Christ is to be of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith. We are being built up. The, the very way that God does this work, we call discipleship. And the really important thing that we need to realize is that um, first of all, we need to understand a bit about what discipleship is and what's its root. What's the root word that we hear? What's the root word of discipleship? Disciple. So what's a disciple? Okay. So it, it's one who follows and who is is learning the ways of the person they're following and replicating that in their life. And the thing is that, that we are all disciples of Jesus, aren't we? I hope we are, or at least we're on the path to being. He, he speaks a lot in the, you, you see in the Gospels what is needed to be a true disciple. So it's a good idea to have a good look at that. <laughs> Because um, he says things like, you know, you cannot be my disciple unless you. Uh, I'm not going there today. But um, 
you know, that the, we are on a journey together and we are disciples, right? And the whole of Ephesians 4 is talking about coming, reaching a oneness in the faith and in the knowledge of God. And that comes when we come as disciples, as that kind of disciple that Jesus is defining, not a watered-down version of what we might think a disciple is, but Jesus' definition of a disciple. And we are engaged in his process of discipleship, which I'm going to unpack a little bit tonight. Um, the maturity that he's wanting to develop in us only happens this way, doesn't it? Because as Kirk so beautifully put this morning, we have to be built from internally, from the inside out. And that requires this, um, this discipleship where we're walking together, each of us with our lives laid down, each of us loving not ourselves and not the people around us more than Christ, the, the way that Jesus has described it. And he is wanting to mature us into something quite specific. And that's the other thing I'm really hoping that we're just going to get some glimpse of and maybe go after a real revelation of this because the, the capturing of that helps us to lay our lives down for that purpose. Mm. So God, God's church is a family. That's also in your notes. God's church is a family, and his way of building us and supplying each member is through a culture of discipleship or shepherding. I'm interchanging those words a bit. Discipleship and shepherding. Every believer is called to be a disciple and to be discipled. Every believer is called to be a disciple and to be discipled. This is not optional. We can't define it. God defines it. It's really, really important that we seek out what he says about that. So Jesus has patterned this. He walked with many. That's that, that gap there. He walked with many. That's the 70. He also walked with a group. It was the 12 disciples we know, and with a few. So with many, with a group, and with a few. The few were the three we hear of a few, a few times. He pulls them out, Peter, James, and John. What are you laughing? Ah. ah, sorry, my bad. James, yeah, I saw that. My proofreading didn't work, did it? We at The Rock are all to be walking in the same manner with the many, with the discipleship group, and a few. So is discipleship an option? Well, I suppose it is, but do we want to be built or don't we want to be built? Do we want God's purpose for God's sake, <laughs> or do we not? You know, he, he has a way, and 
It's out, that's his ways are perfect. We've just sung that. He's perfect in all his ways. And it's up to us to understand his ways and enter into his ways and stop telling him to build us some other way because it doesn't work. And again, beautifully, we heard that this morning. You know, we can spend our whole life on the wrong pathway or in the wrong race thinking that we're, we are on the right pathway and, and we're not being built internally and it can look great on the outside. And we can gather around us a lot of people who says it looks good and it must be God. <laughs> but until this work is done his way for his purpose and we see the fruit that he is looking for, then actually it's not God's way. So we could, you know, potentially waste our whole lives doing that. But thank you, Lord, that he is revealing what his ways are and what his purpose is and what his fruit are. You know, it's all measurable. It's not out there somewhere. It's in this passage. <laughs> it's amazing. So some questions um, I've put down here. We might look in the discussion groups afterwards about this, but I'll just speak to this now. Do we have people who we walk with very closely, people who are able to speak the truth to us? <clears throat> able to speak the truth to us in the real nitty-gritty of life, in the mess, in the stuff that comes up, in the bad mistakes that we might make. Are we running and covering like we heard from Kirk this morning? Are we trying busily to make it look as if we've all got it all together? Or do we actually have that kind of relationship where we're just us, you know, warts and all, in process, in mess, but we are walking with someone that can speak truth and, and help us go God's way. Very, very important. And in true love, so important, in true love that continues to walk with us no matter what. We need these relationships. They're deep-reaching relationships flowing in his love where Father can grow us, where Father can grow us all, bring discipline and correction. So those three words, where Father can grow us all, bring discipline and correction, give wise counsel that strengthens us in him and his ways. So we're going to look in that scripture. It talks about being, building ourselves up um, in, in love. The next question, do we all have three that we can be that for? So Jesus had three. He had his 12, but he also had three that he was walking with. And, you know, that the... the power in that sort of closeness is that sometimes you can get deeper into the nitty-gritty of stuff than you can maybe in a discipleship group. Um, and it's, you know, have you ever thought that each one of us can be involved in this process? So we need those people for our own growth, but we also need ourselves to be reaching out and discipling.
And each one of us has the capacity to do that. It doesn't matter if you're a day old in the Lord because you have been born of the Spirit of Christ. And each one of us can interact with one another and the, in, that, in that closeness and that vulnerability, we're learning and we're gaining from Christ in each other. It's so powerful. So don't ever think it's just a receiving thing, you know. This is part of, um, it's a major part of what this fivefold ministry is to do. It's not just the pastor. Every part of the fivefold is to equip and build the body to be doing these, these works and be bu- being built up. Yeah? So it's a very powerful thing. This is Christ's pattern. And so, again, if we're not entering into it, we're not going to be built the way he wants us to be built. Yeah? So um, he builds us from the inside out. And these relationships actually allow us to come to that place where we can be vulnerable enough to let the inside be seen. You know what I mean? Because that's not always going to be possible in some of the bigger environments. It may be, but it just depends on the person and what's going on, really. Shepherding from Christ, Christ's nature is such a key because um, there can be shepherding that doesn't come out of Christ's na- nature, and we need to know about this. You see, the bond is love. It's, it's the... It's the it's the capacity and it's also the empowering to, to actually shepherd. So God's way of shepherding comes from this flow of love and relationship. From the flow of love and relationship. So the fleshly way that you may well have come across tends to be focused on fulfilling a function or task. So it's not about function or task. Now, if that happens, what happens is there ends up being, um, a, again, a building in the flesh, and it can very quickly get in quite abusive situations. So people are being are using people for whatever they can gain out of them, or maybe to make them feel good, like I'm discipling this person, you know, look at me, what? If it doesn't sound like Christ, it's not Christ, you know, (laughs) Um, but it's easy for this sort of stuff to go on. There's there's another little um, example of the fleshly kind of um, shepherding that Jesus spoke of in John Ten, and he talks about hirelings, and so he says that the hirelings or the people that are hired to shepherd the sheep, they run away when the sheep come under attack. But Jesus himself, in that passage, talks about I am the good shepherd. That's where that comes from, and he laid his life down for the sheep. And I love the the. Um, the picture also, I think Paul talked about coming into the pen with the shepherd and being called out by his voice. 
the other beautiful thing that's um, in that is that he talks about himself being the door or the gate. And in those days, the shepherds actually used to lie across the door or the gate. And that was the only way into the sheep, the potential tucker for the predators, right? So the predators had to go through and go th- actually fight the shepherds if they were going to go for the sheep. And that's the kind of analogy of laying da- down the life. And when, when you're shepherding and you're walking with people, that's the heart. And Christ works that in us. That's the, that's the love of Christ that he fills us with and he's wanting to fill us it with. And it's part of this process that um, happens when we're being discipled and when we are discipling. It all gets worked out. When we don't have it, he reveals it and then he <laughs> brings it in. Do you know what I mean? It's all part of this process. It's, um, you see, through his death and resurrection, Christ enables us to come into this same life and this love through our oneness with Father God. So the Christ way of shepherding and not the model, the hiring model, is what he equips us with. So it's really important to know that, that it's not a, like, this is getting too hard and, and whatever, I'm out of here. You know, it's, it's walking through the, the hard times with people. That, by the way, doesn't mean carrying all their burdens. It really doesn't. Um, because, again, it's like these, it, we are led by the Spirit, we are equipped by the Spirit. We, we have a freedom in Him as we're yoked with Him. And so it, the flesh would say, I've now got to sort this person's problems out. But actually it's God that does the internal work. We just don't disappear. We're on our knees. And we're praying and, and we're asking and seeking and knocking Father for that person in love. And we're doing what he's leading us to do. We don't carry it and get bogged down with it. beautiful in Colossians 3:14 it says beyond all these things put on love which is the perfect bond of unity so bond is um, an amazing word that comes out in some of these scriptures you know about being linked at the joints and the ligaments the ligaments are a bonding so it's like um, they, they join the joints, the ligaments join the joints, and there's freedom of movement, but they're still connected. And the bond that joins us together is love. It it's, has to be him, otherwise it's not his body. So what is real discipleship to you, to me? Is it just turning up to a discipleship group? And maybe being part of a discussion. Because again, you know, let's look and ask Christ to define this in us. That is part of it coming into a discipleship environment, but that's not actually discipleship. Because um, we're looking for something. There's going to be a fruit. What or who 
is the next thing. What or who would real shepherding lead someone into? Does it lead to Christ and his ways and life? Does it lead to Christ and his ways and life? Or to man's wisdom and ideas or opinions? Does it lead to Christ and his ways and life? Or to man's wisdom and ideas or opinions? This is really, really key because so many times um, I, I've experienced and I've witnessed being led to an opinion and to a man way. And it, said, it, it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there are patterns of the world that are dressed up in Christian these sort of stuff. And I think I spoke about that last time a little bit. We've, we have to be able to discern. And we, in ourselves, are not just replicating what we were taught as a little girl or a little boy by our parents that might not actually be Christ. It might just be, this is what you do in the Christian church. This is the expectation that you do this and you do this. Let's actually look at that. Because, again, life will come out of Christ. But man's wisdom and opinions and ideas doesn't bring life. It usually brings bondage, maybe not straight away, but it will later on. So the next question, what would be the fruit? Here we go, the fruit of real discipleship. Staying the same. Struggling with the same problems year after year after year. Remaining self or needs or sin focused. So if after years of being in a discipleship group, there is no change, then the process of discipleship is not actually happening. Because there's got to be transformation. Or... Being released and grown up and transformed to be able to love like Christ. To love like Christ and walk like Christ. To love like Christ and walk like Christ. So discipleship is to mature us and to grow us up and the transformation happens in this amazing environment. It's not just us on our own in a little desert island, me and God, you know. There is an intimate relationship with me and God, yes, but he chooses not to build us that way alone because in this environment, when we're walking one-on-one, we cannot walk in pride. When we're all alone, we can walk in pride because no one's actually seeing the real nitty-gritty. You know, it's easy to, when we're going through stuff, for that very reason, for pride, not to come forward but to back off and try and sort our stuff out with God. And that is not his way. 
I know it's everything in our flesh wants to do it, but it's not his way. And if we really want him to, to do this work in us, then it's like we, we, have to, um, we have to move forward even when we don't feel like moving forward because of obedience to his way, knowing that the freedom that comes from that is so far beyond any fear that we might have of exposure. So, so far beyond. It brings us into the, the release of the fear of failure. It brings us into a love that, you know, we, we maybe don't know when we're fearing what people will think. So that fear of man is, is something he wants to release us out of in discipleship. It's beautiful. Now, I'm not going to read all of this um, passage, Ephesians 4, 13 to 16. But as I go through, I'll refer to a few things um, because this is really our main passage that we've been looking at through the fivefold series. The, the, the one I want to home into first actually is verse 16 right at the end. From, so we're, we're talking about we're growing up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. There's so many words in that. I know it's kind of hard to grab it all at once. But I want to just break down a few things. So everyone is designed to be actively supplying. Everyone. When Sam talked last week about the priesthood of all believers... This is, this is what we're talking about. It's not a, a one man or a selected few and the rest are just nothing. That's not who he's building. He's building a church. And each one of us is being matured and brought into the supplying, um, the supplying one another. And that's why the fivefold are here to equip the saints the works of service to bring them bring them into the maturity where they're not just receiving but they're giving that they're they're being built up so the priesthood of all believers that's the other little thing there ministering to god and each other so god's word makes it clear that we are all called to be discipled and discipling others i've said that before I want to share you just a couple of pictures that um, he's shown me over the last last wee while. I've been doing um, lots of orchestral jobs, and it's been so cool because in these different environments, he's spoken to me about the body. And there was one I won't go into great details, but the the conductor. So I usually am sitting at the back of the first violins, right? So the first violins, second violins, and then the rest of the strings. So we're sitting twos, one behind each other, and I'm at the back. So the conductor turns to the first violins and says, I want to hear the back of the first violins as much as the front. Now, it's easy when you're in the back to 
you're further away from the conductor and it's a bit harder to follow his beat because he's not right here, you know. It actually takes a lot of skill to be able to see him and keep in time with the, the whole team. And it's easy to sit behind the front desk or two and just to sit in the in in that sort of safe place. Now what what the Lord spoke to me about though was that as an orchestra, as a complete group of people, our responsibility at that particular time was to demonstrate and represent a particular composer. Now this composer has a big, broad sound. The sound when you go into an orchestral hall didn't, wasn't to come from the middle with the front desks and then peter out to the sides. It needed to be this wall of sound that just went smack out to the audience. That required me at the back and all my other companions there to be playing as strongly as the front You see what I'm saying? So in order for us to represent our father and demonstrate him how he is, it requires us all to play our full part. That was the lesson that he was showing me through that. It's a powerful thing. It's not a sitting back and just, oh, I better just just timidly do my thing. It's like stepping up, stepping out moving forward, being teachable, moving in oneness with others, not in an assumption. I wasn't about to play a solo from there because that's not my job. You know, I'm part of a team. Oneness is always the thing in a symphony orchestra. The other picture, which was very powerful, and I'm going to flip it. It was a musical picture, but I'm going to flip it into one that you can relate to more easily. Um... And it's, if you picture a Monet painting, does everybody, can they picture a, a, a painting by Monet, the Impressionist? Um, who, have, who have I lost here? Have I lost anyone? Okay, right, you need to go home and Google Monet. Okay, so th- these pa- paintings by Monet and Van Gogh is another one, is the the characteristic of it is that there's no kind of form that you see looking up close. You just see all these individual brush strokes. If you're looking at it like, like this, it's just like it doesn't really make sense. But when you stand back, the form of what he is producing comes to life. And, it's, and it has such movement and such color and such um, there's such a heart behind what what that that picture is representing. There's there's it's just a totally different way of painting. The music that we were playing was the equivalent in music form. So no one carried one melody. We all had little bits of little bits of melody, and as one finished, the other one came in with from another instrument. It was the most incredibly difficult piece to play because there was no f- filling of a individual you know um, melody that one of us would be or a, a group would be playing just these little bits and it felt quite odd but the power of the thing for the audience 
just incredible life and color. And it was like he was saying, this is my body. This is what I'm building. And again, it's like no one person has, this is the form. It's the way he builds us together. And it is by his spirit and it's in his love that has this power of representing oneness, representing this fullness of Christ that causes the the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms to go, woo, what's that? How can this be built? Well, it can't be built by man, that's for sure. But it is built by God. And because it can't be built by man, this true work, then it, it represents him, represents his grace, it represents his inner working in us, represents his power to, to empower us to live from Christ and not from the flesh. It represents all of those things. And it's colorful and beautiful. And each one brings a brush stroke. It's, it's a beautiful picture. When we see 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, 1 Corinthians 12, it says in there, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each one. Not a select few, to each one. It says in verse 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for each other. Isn't that powerful? So two... Two chapters later in verse, uh, in, um, 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about eagerly desiring certain gifts. Why? Because they're really important gifts and I look really good? No. It's about because we're, they are the ones that edify the church. They edify the church. So our whole reason for desiring these things is that we we join the father's purpose and plan to build and it's not about us it's about what us laying our lives down that he may build his church and that edify is is a word it's um oikodomio which means a house and to build it's the verb form of the same word used in Ephesians 4.16. So it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So edification, what we know is edifying and edification is this building work. Powerful thing, isn't it? And guess what's in the middle of those two chapters? Who can tell me? The revelation of his love. So if there, if, if there is jealousy, if there's bragging, if there's like, but I don't have that gift, if there's comparing, if there's arrogance, if there's self-seeking, if there's being provoked, 
if there's taking into account a wrong suffered, then love has not been formed within. So the whole process of this is to form Christ in us, to get there. Isn't it powerful that that's in the middle of these two chapters? So the bond is love. The process is him in us. That's not our love. That's him. He has to do that work. So we all have to come into this process and then release it to one another. So we need to come into that place where we're comfortable with the part we play. You know, I need to be comfortable at the back of the first violins playing my one little part and, and not want, I really wouldn't want the flutist part. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just to play the part that I've been given and, and to play it in a way that it blends with everybody else. So I'm not sticking out. If I'm sticking out, I'm not doing my thing right, yeah? Not comparing with others. And we're freed by love. We're freed by sight of his purpose. Sight of what he is building. We're freed then to give our all to this building work. The proper working of each individual part literally means the working in measure. So that's another thing to fill in. It means the working in measure. The word for that is metron. To work in the metron is to work in the measure allotted to you, not someone else's. It's cool. I'm happy being in that desk, doing that. Serving the whole. We can only supply others. We can only supply others from the life of Christ within. The life of Christ within And we only get that supply as we feed off him. We can supply from him. So if we're feeding from Christ, we'll supply from Christ. But if we're feeding off this other thing, remember I talked about the patterns of the world? Patterns of the world come out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's sort of things that we can work out from the seen realm. And if we are living in that, feeding from that, we will supply from that. That involves no faith and it has no life. In Hebrews 11, God said that in the beginning, all, all the worlds were made so that what is seen was not made from what is visible. So nothing that is seen can come out of anything other than what is invisible. And you cannot take what is seen and get to what's invisible. It all comes, the supply comes from the invisible, from the unseen, from the heavenly realm, from Christ's realm, from the kingdom of God. All names for the same thing. So we feed off Christ, the heavenly manner. We're able to supply from that realm our brothers and sisters. If we're feeding off 
this, which is just men's ideas and opinions, that's all that we can supply. I want the life, don't you? Yeah. It takes living connection to grow. Christ's body is a relational body. Christ's body is a relational body. And all function flows from relationship and oneness. If we're not in relationship, God can't build us. God can't build us if we're not in relationship. I love what Kurt brought this morning about the external and the internal. So we get, we can get this picture and we can think, right, okay, so it's all about supplying the body. So I'm going to supply the body. And Kurt gave testimony of being all in supplying the body, serving the body externally. But you see, if you're not in this process of discipleship, if you're not in this oneness and flow of, of relationship with Christ and with his brothers and sisters, there's nothing internal happening. So we're not going to supply from the heavenly realm. We're only going to do our thing in the seen realm, right? And it's going to be external, and like I said before, we can spend our whole life doing that, and it, it doesn't lead to life. It certainly doesn't lead to the purposes of God. So the, he, he builds internally, and that flows out into the external. So it's not just a matter of bringing our gifts as we perceive them, but of laying our lives down. This is where pride dies and humility and freedom is released. Love experienced in our messiness of transformation can then be freely given to each other in our processes. We receive it. We all have to go through it. And we're brothers and sisters in his family with a loving father. So we can come into that place where we're not covering up, but we're walking openly, where truth and love can be spoken and demonstrated. And that is also in this Ephesians passage about speaking the truth in love. So what's the goal? It's clear and measurable. Oneness. <laughs> You've heard that a few times tonight. Oneness. True knowledge of God. As Sam so beautifully explained a couple of weeks ago, true knowledge of God, as he really is, that changes us. I guess that's the litmus test, isn't it? Is it true knowledge of God? Is it changing? Is it changing me? Maturity. This is what these gifts are given for, to mature us. Now we're not blown around. We're not blown around by every new thing that comes around. We're stable and completely like Christ in thought, in attitude, in love, word, and action. In thought, attitude, love, word, and action. So the picture is oneness. And its bond is love, God's love.
So some final thoughts here. The 12 spies were selected. Remember in the Old Testament when they had been wandering around the desert for 40 years? So Moses sends out 12 spies, rather, not supplies, spies. But they're selected one from each tribe. So it's a little bit like, you know, going back, you know, who are these guys that we're selecting? Well, we don't actually hear about a criteria for selection. It's a pity. I wonder if they'd use some of those criteria, whether we might have had 12 come back with a different story. Ten saw, according to the flesh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which equates to fear, didn't it? So it was the flesh that they saw out of. Two saw from the spirit, the tree of life and faith from the spirit. The ten influenced a whole nation. They influenced a whole nation so that they also shrank back in unbelief and didn't enter into the promised land. See how important our suppliers. is? It says in Deuteronomy 1.29, this is God speaking to Moses that none of them are going to enter in. Only their sons, I thought this was really interesting, who this day have no knowledge of good or evil shall enter there. (laughs) Interesting, eh? He needed to raise up a people of faith under the people that saw in faith. Joshua was the one that led them in, isn't he? And he was one of the two that saw in faith. So everything, remember, that is seen comes from the unseen. So two saw the unseen. And that dictated how they interpreted what they saw in the seen realm. Ten didn't see the unseen realm. They just saw the seen realm. And they thought, yeah, it's great, but it's too big. It's too hard. So the empowering and the life of faith always comes from the sight that what God has said, which is too big for us if we don't see it, (laughs) will empower us to live out the life in the seen realm and to do the things that he has got for us as his children. That's the life of faith. So it sees in the unseen realm. I'm just going to skip down to this little paragraph. Just like the 12 spies, we see things in life and in each other's lives through one of two lenses. One of two lenses. Whether we plan to or not, each one of us does supply. We do supply either to bring life or death, fear or faith. God's ways or man's ways. So how important is it that we're feeding off Christ, the heavenly manner, that our supply is from the unseen realm? Because we can only supply from what we are receiving ourselves. Jesus said, you know, the water I give you will become in you this living water. Well, it's the the water that Christ gives us. 
It's not what we get by studying ourselves and trying to work it out. It's what he gives us. We are our brother's keeper. That's what's next. We are our brother's keeper. Someone brought that. I think it was Sam, was it? A wee while ago. And we can only shepherd and keep each other as we ourselves keep the faith and allow ourselves to be shepherded. So we are a brother's keeper and we can only shepherd and keep each other if we ourselves keep the faith and allow ourselves to be shepherded. Powerful stuff. So some we testers. Our discipleship groups, our discipleship environments start at home. So between husbands and wives, here's a little question. What's the pillow talk like? That's the word there, pillow talk. Is it is it something different from what you would be releasing out to anybody else? Is it like, yeah, yeah, rah, rah, the rock's doing this and we're going this way, and it's like, man, I can't stand da-da-da and da-da-da. I'm serious. God hears our pillow talk. Is it faith? Is it life? How powerful our relationships are, wherever they are, to supply and to receive from him. That's his design, that, that we are living from him. We're not one thing here and another thing here. Our family is a discipleship group, a, a discipleship group, a discipleship environment. So what source are we making decisions from? Decisions. The world's wisdom or God's word. There it is again. So it's, it's challenging for all of us. It's challenging for me. Absolutely. It's just like, what am I drawing from? Where's my decision? Like in that moment, am I locking into something that I was taught by my parents? You know, is it Christ? It might be. But if it's not, like what, what's my go-to place? You know, he wants to form himself in us and he wants us to be his go-to place. And, um, how powerful it is to, to do that as a family, to pray together, to model that, what it is to lean on Christ, not to lean on our own understanding. The freedom and the life is, is for every day. Often it requires us taking our hands of control off things and modeling that to our children. We've had, uh, had times like that where, you know, as grown-up children, they're wanting, wanting to control and make sure everything's okay. And it's like, actually, someone else is in control. You know, but in, in every stage of life, we can be modeling this and walking this. So we walk in a daily response of love and faith. In our church family, do we feed from him? I've already spoken about this. Do we feed from him and let it spill out of us? Or do we try and live off occasional snacks of his word and have nothing of living revelation because we don't cultivate our relationship with him? I love to think of, you know, we we hear about the rivers of living water, but there's also the analogy of an iceberg, you know? When we meet someone, we're hearing Christ, 
are we hearing the full totality of, or are we, we just seeing the tip of the iceberg because of this depth of work that Christ is doing? You know, he wants us to, to be built as these solid, you know, there's way more iceberg under what you can see, under the sea, than there is what you see. So the, the overflow, out of the overflow of the heart comes out. So God's causing this growth. Colossians 2.19, it says, from the head, he, he, in this particular instance, is talking about a, a negative thing that isn't, but the, 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 um, the power of this is holding fast to the head, Christ, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments. Remember, ligaments, the bond, the ligaments grow, grows with a growth which is from God. Held together by the joints and ligaments. The entire body being supplied. So we're all involved. The supply is from the unseen to the seen. And God is building what can't be built by men. It's perfect. So there's a measurable measure that he puts. He says in Ephesians 4.13 to finish with, God talks about the mature man. It's measurable by the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. (laughs) So I pray that as we meditate on what he's called us into, and reveals that, A, we'll realize that he has to build it, and B, we'll be so inspired to give our lives to it, because it creates that. And the result is Ephesians 3.10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Isn't it powerful that we're called to do this together, to walk this together? And this is all what he is doing within us. And each one of us has a significant part to play. There is no, there is no partiality, remember. <laughs> There's nothing that's too big or too small. The, the toe and the nose are equally important. And each part is needed to supply and with confidence and without comparison, with love and love for him, love for one another, flowing in that. Amen? Cool. Thanks, guys.